Welcome to Unity Talks, where the hiring experts of Dallas-based recruiting firm Unity Search engage in lively discussion with successful business leaders to dissect their careers and how they got to where they are today, the obstacles overcome to reach their success, and steps they've taken to stay at the top of their respective fields. So listen in as we provide you with the thought-provoking conversation and ideas that keep industries moving forward. And welcome to the Unity Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Cathy, and we're so thankful that you're here today joining us again. And we're gonna jump right into this because we have another guest here, and it is Chris Doty. He is the CFO of CFA Group. Welcome to the show, Chris. Welcome, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Usually I start with a little bit of a longer introduction, but man, we've got a lot of material to cover here, and this is gonna be great. And here's how we're gonna start. We are gonna start, before we get too far in, Chris, you gotta explain, what is CFA? I mean, what a strange name for someone just hearing it. So what does CFA do? Yeah, we're actually a software as a service company. We're geared towards, uh, we're fintech geared towards asset managers. So your typical hedge funds, mutual funds, family offices. We also work with private equity firms uh, as well as third party administrators in the industry. Uh, CFA, it's always a good icebreaker. Most people don't know how to pronounce it. Um, it's an Italian name and the, the, the name means hedge in Italian. Uh, our CEO is uh, heritage, uh, is, is part Sicilian. And so he wanted wow. to pay some type of homage to his family uh, uh, when he created the company and, uh, and hence the name Siepe. So he wanted to have some tie to the industry. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's like I said, it's a good icebreaker whenever people yeah. can't say the name and we correct them. Like, okay, what does that even mean? Exactly. So, what do you guys do? Yeah. Well, you did a good job explaining <laughs> oh, it because it needs to be in layman's terms because I'm sitting here going, Siepe, how do I pronounce it? Right. I'm going to screw it up really early on. So. That's okay. That's Thankfully, okay. I didn't. <laughs> and now I know what they do. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Well, and here's the other thing. So before we get too far in, uh, we got to recognize married and two girls. So shout out to the two girls, right? Yes. Middle school. Middle school girls and my wife who obviously takes care of everything at home. And, and uh, you know, we call her the CEO, CEO of the family and yeah. uh, uh, is a great supportive group and unit for me and, and everything that we do. And, and uh, I couldn't be successful either in my career or with CFA. Uh, any of us could without our, our families uh, that yeah. have our support every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have a, you have a CEO at work. Yes. And you've got a CEO. Uh, yes, so you I answer do. to, no matter what happens, you're answering to someone. I'm always answering to somebody, right? They, <laughs> yeah. You know the old adage, right? There's always somebody to answer to, even if you it. think you're at the top. So I love it. All right. So we're going to go back because we always start out with someone's upbringing. And here's yeah. the reason why. I mean, when we start out with people's upbringing, people are shaped to a certain degree on how they were brought up, mm -hmm. where they were brought up, and they carry that with them through the rest of their lives. And for you, and, and here's the deal, I'm gonna put a caveat on this, okay? My disclaimer is, this is Chris talking, okay? So mm -hmm. I, am, uh, I am a military brat. Again, he's the one that said military brat. And he's the black sheep. So let's find out why he's a military <laughs> brat and why he's the black sheep. Sure, so, so you know, I was born in the, into the military. My father and my mother both were, uh, were in the Air Force. Uh, that's where they met. Uh, and uh, you know, was born in California, and, and uh, you know from there, uh, just like a typical military family, we moved uh, we moved around both within the United States and, and abroad. And uh, you know it's it's it, it's you have your stereotypical you know it's it's rigid. There's um, 
structure. Uh, you know, you, you're, it's built. You know, your your life is built around respect of others and re obviously respect of our country and and, and what it stands for. Uh, but you know, there's other things that you have to learn along the way. And and probably the biggest thing is that you you move from town to town or base to base. Um, each of those bases is like a community or a family or a team. And so you learn early on in life that there's more than just your core unit family. There's a bigger family out there. Um, and we always try to have each other's backs. And you know, you, you make friends along the way, you lose friends along the way. And so with that comes the ability to adapt, right? You're having to adapt to um, new communities, new surroundings, uh, new people, new cultures. And uh, you know, you don't realize it at the time, but as you grow up and you get older, you, you, you find that, that that makes adapting to new companies and new structures and mm -hmm. new employees and new bosses uh, not as you know, scary or not as intimidating uh, you know, because of what you've gone through in your upbringing. Yep, yep. yeah, and I, I don't wanna to touch on that, but before I touch on that, we can't, we can't let the black sheep go. Because oh yes, I, I forgot I, I about that. Want, I don't wanna be <laughs> accused by your family who's gonna watch this, yes. like, who's this guy calling him a yes. black sheep? So, you know, gr again, growing up and moving and, and uh, seeing your friends come and go and, and, um, and moving around the country and around the world, it just, uh, for me, uh, my father, my mother, my aunts, my uncles, uh, my two brothers are both retired military now. Uh, it just was not the life for me. It's, I, I, I didn't wanna be uh, transient in nature. I kinda, I'm, I'm the type of person that likes to stay put in, in one area. Uh, and um, I didn't really want people telling me what to do and ordering me <laughs> around uh, in, in, in that certain way anyway. But I love and respect our military. I'm a military history buff. Uh, I enjoy reading and watching documentaries yeah. uh, and, and, and understanding our history and, and why we do what we do as a military. And, uh, and like I said, I have the utmost respect for everyone and anyone who has ever served our country. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, my dad was in the Air Force as well. And yeah. That was not a direction that I went either. Yes. So let's put ourselves, like our listeners, let's put ourselves in the mind of someone from who grew up in the military and, mm -hmm. and you're living in different countries mm -hmm. on bases, but you're acclimating to different cultures. Yeah. Um, and so there's a component of discipline, right. as you mentioned, mm -hmm. that you probably still carry with you today, whether it's self-discipline or just the actions you take within your organization. Mm -hmm. And there's also a component of you're always new. Oh, it's, it's the new kid on the base. Oh, it's the new kid in a school. Oh, he's got to you know, make friends with kids from different cultures. Mm -hmm. And so there's relationship building, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so do you think and, and how has the, if so, how has the relationship building and the discipline worked its way into your life as a leader of an organization? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is the relationships. Um, you know, I've prided myself throughout my career on how you build relationships, both with people you work with on a direct basis every day, but how do you build those relationships across the company, interdepartmental, or with uh, clients and vendors and, and, and such. And it had a huge impact on me because again, as you see friends come and go and families come and go that you get close with over a couple of years span and then it's their time to move on, um, you know that that person's in a difficult situation and then the kid or the family coming in behind them is in one as well. And so you, you're, again, you realize and empathize for the situations that people are in. So you try to do your best to 
welcome them and accommodate them and make them feel uh, a part of the family and a part of the team. And it's similar in nature in a company, right? Mm -hmm. When we hire a new person or I've ever gone to a new company, uh, the first thing I want to do is how do I how do I relate to people and how do I um, you know work with them and create relationships? I think those relationships go a long way into determining how effective you can be and how effective your team can be. Mm -hmm. And again, we don't need to sit around at a campfire and sing Kumbaya every yeah. weekend or anything like that. But if you have strong working relationships and actually communicate, you know whether it's verbally or written or you know with your body language, um, I think it goes a long way into uh, how you can be successful in whatever you do. Yeah. I like that you said verbally written, but you also included body language. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty important. Usually you hear people say verbal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some written, but the body language is really important, especially when you're doing one-on-ones with your team mm -hmm. or you're sitting across the table from someone that you're negotiating with. Right. and you're able to view their body language and that is telling a story. And sometimes it's a different story than what they're verbally saying. I would agree. Right. And and that's uh, one thing, again, a shout out to my wife because it's uh, she's a, uh, you know, was a successful salesperson before she changed, you know, careers and, and focused more yeah. on family and community and that sort of thing. But uh, that's something that she taught me that, um, you know, as a, as a sales expert or a sales executive is, you know, reading people's body language and, and how you can adapt your conversation or your relationship or your interaction based on that body language, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and try to always, you know, do it in a positive manner that can again, foster that relationship or foster the success of a deal. Yes. And uh, yeah. so as an accountant by trade, it was a, it was a great lessons to learn from, from her, so. Well, yeah, and like you can use those lessons as the person that is fiscally responsible for your organization. Mm -hmm. And and let's say that it's a publicly traded company. Mm -hmm. And so you, you have to have auditors come in, right. right? And everybody views auditors a certain way. You know, they usually sit in a room with no walls and it's like a dungeon or, you know, um, how do you use that relationship building to your advantage sure. as someone on the client side, which many times has a different objective than the person on the auditing side? Sure. Yeah, I think from an audit perspective, it's interesting. Uh, I never worked in, in the big six arena and, and that sort of thing. So I only saw it from the corporate or the, you know, the commercial side of things. I always took the approach when I was at the level that I was the one managing the client relationship uh, with our auditors. Uh, you know, it's how do I create a relationship that's mutually beneficial for us, right? Am I going to stick them in a closet or am I going to accommodate them and put them in an area that helps them be effective at what they do? How do I make myself accessible? How do I kind of create the kind of the expectations that I'm here for you, I'm, I'm accessible, just don't come into my office or come into my cube, you know, every five seconds, mm -hmm. right? They establish the ground rules and the setting and I think that really has helped me in my career be effective in achieving whether it's been internal control reviews or an audit or you know uh, attestations of financial statements or whatever it is how do i help them be successful so they can help me be successful and to me at least in my experience it's been it's been a great uh, way to approach working with auditors and then from a client perspective um you know my clients could be you know our 
customers or they could be mm -hmm. vendors. It depends on my relationship or what I'm actually doing with them, whether I'm negotiating a contract or you know, trying to you know, get a customer to pay or their bills or understanding what their situation is. And so again, it's how do I create an environment that both of us can be successful at what we're trying to do? And to me, um, that has paid off a lot more than trying to be rigid or standoffish mm -hmm. or um, you know, whether it's abrasive or however you want to say it or difficult to work with. And so um, we take that approach at CFA um, and I think that's what makes us work so well together. You know, uh, our CEO and myself is we, we share a lot of those same values and, and we learn a lot from each other and how we can effectively have those relationships, again, be mutually beneficial. Yeah. You're trying to create partnerships all the way around. All the way I mean, around. that's what it is. You're building relationships, you're creating partnerships, whether it's internal, whether it's up, down, across, or with mm -hmm. vendors. And yeah. it's creating those partnerships. But here's the thing. March 2020, we went remote. Right. And now we're starting to come back, and most companies, at least that we deal with, are doing some type of hybrid approach. Right. Or they have plans for a hybrid approach. Right. How does that switch impact building partnerships? How does that switch impact building relationships with the people on your team? Uh, it, it impacts it greatly. Uh, we've actually you know, experienced a, a, a tremendous amount of growth over the last two years, um, you know, despite our, you know, the, the pandemic uh, impacted you know, economy. Um, we've hired people that have never set foot in our office. We've hired people that uh, for one reason or another, maybe we couldn't get the video uh, chat to work or whatever it may be that we've never even seen in person. And I've seen a picture in uh, on LinkedIn or, or mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And so uh, it's that personal relationship that you try to create with an employee and get them to buy into your organization and what you're trying to do has been severely impacted. And so, you know, we what we've had to do is take a step back and just be more focused on um, what are we going to do to bridge those gaps? You're, you're not in person or a person, you may be in the same city, but that person doesn't feel comfortable coming into the office or how do you create an environment that they are comfortable to mm -hmm. come in the office and six, six feet apart or you know, wear a mask or whatever it is that we can do to accommodate um, that, that situation. Um, we've had to really rethink that because mm -hmm. we were all you know, just used to everybody being in person. Yeah. Um, you know, historically, if you've got offices around the country and, you know, and, uh, and people working around the country, you, you had to interact with them anyway, one way, shape or another. Um, but a lot of times it was just more casual. You would do it, you know, via audio and not necessarily video. And so, you know, we did what a lot of companies do, right? Uh, video chat, happy hours and, and um, those types of things where, you know, people are on there and their kids are coming in in the background or their dogs are barking and those types of things were taboo in the past if mm -hmm. you worked from Absolutely. home. And so again, it's just how I, I, I go back to my military upbringing and, and the, the way that we always had to adapt to our environment um, in many different ways. This was just kind of another way. It just happened to be a new way, right? How do we adapt to this situation and make the best of it? And then we're not perfect. Yeah. Um, but I think we've done things, you know, to the best of our ability during yeah. this situation. Well, it requires you to be much more intentional when you're trying to build a culture of an organization that has overnight become a disparate workforce. Yes. And, and it's based largely on how people feel. And I think the other thing, like you went back to your military upbringing on the uh, on the side of you know surrounding a community and things like that but i think as a leader of an organization you have to go back to your military background 
and have the discipline to be intentional about it. Because I don't know about you, but speaking for me, it's like, man, we've got to continue this community within our organization. We've got to maintain this culture. So we need to do the online happy hour and we need to have the little quizzes and all. And sometimes you don't want to do that because you're already at home. And it's like, oh man, I don't know. I want to do it because I, I want to see everybody, but I also don't want to do it because my kids are outside playing and I'd like to go enjoy some time with them. And, and that's where that discipline of we got to get it scheduled because we got to do this for the health of the company, yes. you know? Yeah, I think it, you're, you're, you hit it right on. It's being intentional uh, and, and again, experiencing all the challenges that came along with the pandemic and working from home and you know disparate workforce and 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 all those things that impacted it and going through a period of growth and so your your mindset tends to focus more on what's the urgency i was talking about this with a, a member of my team today and focus so much more on the urgency of what we have to get done related to reacting to the changing environment or reacting to our growth and all the things that need to take place but what's most important mm -hmm. Right. And, and again, we've, we, we pride ourselves and we talk a lot about culture and uh, trust and all in transparency and all these things. And that's what's important. And so you have to be intentional and, about that and focus on those things, just not lose sight of it. And sometimes you do. So then how do you get yourself back on track? Yeah. And, and that's, uh, you know, an everyday challenge for all of us. I can promise you, Chris isn't getting royalties from Stephen Covey and <laughs> urgency and importance, but you're right. That's Stephen Covey, Seven ha yeah. Habits of Highly Effective People, the difference between urgency yeah. and importance. But here, you had a great segue earlier, so we're going to go there now, Absolutely. which is you've been at Siepe for just over seven years, about seven years, three or four months, something like that. Tell us about the growth, because we want to go into how fast Siepe has grown and and we can brush over that quickly. But it is a standard set that we want to have to help us with the later conversation. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about CFA's growth, how it's happened, the headcount, and what the near future might look like. Mm -hmm. You know, knock on wood, all things continue to go the way it has. Yeah, I mean, we started out, uh, again, as a startup uh, nine years ago. We just celebrated our ninth birthday. and. Uh, uh, you know, started out small. We, we had intentionally done things certain ways to um, that, um, you know, the first few years, the growth was was pretty mild or pretty tepid. Uh, and really, it's only been in the last, you know, 24 months or so uh, that we've really seen a tremendous amount of growth, both on the sales side and, and with our people uh, and several factors, um, you know, you know, were, were the cause of that. Um, one, if you start back about five years ago when we moved up to Midtown out of downtown Dallas, uh, we found that it was a struggle to get people to come into downtown. Mm -hmm. Great companies down there, it's a great environment, I miss it, but um, that really fueled the growth to be a little bit more kind of where the growth was going on in the city. And so we're acknowledging that and understanding that that could help us as a company grow. And then really uh, focusing on um, marketing and sales that we hadn't really done before, uh, you know, branching out and opening an office in New York City and taking those risks and those leaps that are, is this gonna pay off? Uh, and then uh, last summer, uh, you know, we raised capital. So we went through our, our first ever Series A and, and um, that obviously came with expectations from our investors uh, and our plans and how, we're gonna, how are we gonna execute on those plans? And so those kind of uh, 
areas are what cat, you know, catapulted us in our growth. And so when you look at um, last year, you know, we, we, today we're at around 65, 66 all in on uh, FTE. You know, last year, uh, this year, we've added 20 people to get to that number. And last year, we added over 20 people as well. And so when you think about your, your, your doubling your workforce in a two-year span, that's an immense amount of growth for a small company. So then we've had to look, focus on, well, where do we need to bring in help that we're, we try to grow within and, and provide people opportunities to, to take on more responsibilities. But we also have to be understanding that we don't have all the answers. And so we needed to bring in uh, people from, you know, with industry experience and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and then when you look at going forward, if we continue, you know, our pathway and in, in, in the success and build upon that, um, you know, we've, we're looking to add probably another 15 people this year and, and, and probably another 15 to 20 or so more next year. Yeah, so, it's crazy. So here are my two rapid fire questions yes. on that alone. Yeah top two learning lessons from that ridiculous growth? <laughs> well, as crazy as it may sound, um, and as crazy as the last 24 months have been and will continue to be, mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that we, when we look back, we probably should have moved faster sooner, uh, you know, from, you know, building our sales organization and, and taking that risk um, uh, to, to put that out there. Uh, and then we, we, we talk about this all the time and we talked about when we should go out and, and take external capital or external funding. Uh, and so we, 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 we kid about it now that maybe we should have, now, now that it's working, right? Mm -hmm. we, maybe we should have done that a, a little bit sooner. And so uh, that's probably one of the biggest lessons. And then we started out as a, and really are still kind of a hybrid flat organization. Um, and we've been a flat organization for a long time. And so from an organizational approach with our people, it wasn't really until last year that we started taking a really deep look into what are they doing for us? Uh, what are their skill sets? What are, where do they need to grow? And where do they want to go? And where do we need them to go? Right. And so that was a big change for us to just like take a step back and really focus on where your people want to be because they don't just want a job, right? They want a place of belonging. They want a place of, uh, of succeeding. Uh, and then how do they get rewarded for that success, right? Where do you give them the opportunity? What we call leveling up. Mm -hmm. How can I master my skill set? How can I build upon that? And how can I level up and take on more responsibility for the company and help us be successful? Yeah. Because it's not just me, it's not just our CEO or our head of sales, it's collectively as a team. And so we took that approach and implemented that and we're still fine tuning a few things, but we really want to focus on, you know, we're going to bring in individuals to be a part of our team and how can they be a part of our success and have a long-term um, sustainable position and role with the company. Yeah. So those are probably the two. We may not even get to the rest of what I have on my run sheet because we're just going to pause right here and talk about that because that's important. You go through growth really fast. Um, flat organization. Mm -hmm. You can't have three leaders, four leaders, with 66 people, mm -hmm. okay, 65. It's just not gonna happen. So now you go through the process of what you just described. Well, how do we find other leaders? Okay, so you're working through that. Now you're creating a structure. You're creating a succession plan. You're creating a career path, okay? You're doing all those things. How do you develop people into being the leader that Siepe needs? Mm -hmm. How do you, because they've just been producers. Right. They've just been software developers. They've just, it's been flat. And now all of a sudden in a two year time frame, it can't be flat anymore. Right. How, how, how do you develop people? 
it's 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 the this is the million dollar question, right? Uh, and we're still going through that. And I think, you know, what we have to do is leverage back on our own experiences at, at our levels and the, the management team. And we what we try to do is seek outside advice and and try to get people who have gone through this before to give us their their input. And and that's one thing that uh, we pride ourselves on is we don't know we don't think we know all the answers, and we're we're going to ask the questions and seek the advice and input of others. But I think as far as developing them in the leaders, it's um, helping them understand the transition of, you know, what you you were great as a doer, now we need you to be a great as a leader and, and manager of, of, of whatever that is that we're putting you in charge of. And so uh, instill that upon them, instill confidence in them, um, let them know they're gonna make mistakes um, and, and, you know, rectify the mistakes and move on and not dwell on them. Um, give them the opportunity to fail, um, right? Uh, um, you know, Michael Jordan always said, right? Um, I, I failed on 100% of the shots I never took, right? right. And so I want them to take those shots. I want them to, to take those risks. And um, we've instilled, um, you know, a, a training program into our, our uh, into you know, our um, what we offer our employees. Uh, we haven't been the best at doing that, so it's something that we've identified mm -hmm. that we've got to get better at. Uh, and it's again seeking out uh, uh, opportunities or ways in which to um, help instill those leadership qualities in them. Uh, we talked about this before, and that is, I, I'm a believe. Some people believe their leaders are born, and some people believe that leaders are are are, are created. And I think it could be either or. Um, I don't necessarily think I was born a leader, but I had a lot of opportunities um, to go to leadership classes mm -hmm. or leadership seminars and leadership schools throughout my career. And I think that really helped me. And so how can I take that experience and help others, um, become leaders? And we have a mentoring program within our company, uh, and we have to make sure that we, uh, are diligent about doing those mentor meetings and sharing those experiences and helping them understand, um, what it takes to make that transition from yep. being a great yeah. doer to a great leader. Well, I would say this, you, you guys should be recognized for the fact that it you have to be humble enough to know that you don't know everything yeah. and that you can seek outside counsel mm -hmm. and ask for advice because sometimes you get to that point and, and it's like, well, we're a 15 person organization, a 20 person organization, I know it all. And then two years, boom, you're 60. <laughs> and it's like, man, now I don't know it all. And you know, that can be a hit to a pride and you have to be humble enough to go say, I need to, I need to seek some type of resource to help us. Here's the other thing. Um, just because you are a great doer doesn't mean you're going to be a great leader. Correct. And sometimes that's a really good thing. And sometimes you learn it by trial and error. Right. And I think one of the things that you have done really well at in the organization is you ask questions. You don't, you, you don't give the answer. What did you learn from that situation? I failed. What did you learn from failing? So it's okay that you failed. Let's just not keep failing at the same thing over and over Correct. and over again, but it's asking the questions. And I feel like leaders have a tendency, especially when you're new, it's, well, you need to do this. You need to do this. You should do this. And we're telling, telling, telling. We need to ask, right? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, I try to empathize with where people are in their roles and, and where I've come from and where I've been and the opportunities that were afforded me, uh, the challenges that were put in front of me, the opportunity to fail and get back up. 
uh, from those failures. And so I had to ask myself, what did I learn from those things and how can I share those experiences? But again, it's not, to your point, I don't want to be telling somebody what to do every day. I want them to be able to you know, leverage their skill set, their minds and their brilliance to be creative at how they are attacking their job every day or their the tasks that they have in front of them. And so when they do uh, stumble and, and fall, uh, it's it's best to, to, to go to them and, and acknowledge that. Um, and um, but how do you learn from the failure? Again, I, I'm a I'm a I played sports my whole life. I'm an avid sports fan. But if you think about um, what do most uh, professional or, or other teams do, um, they watch game film, mm-hmm. right? They know they're not perfect, coaches, players, or whoever. So they go back to the film room after every game and watch film and and learn from their mistakes. And so you know we don't we're not videotaping our people every day, but we can we can act as that game film resource for um, that person to ask the questions. Where did you where did you make mistakes and how can you correct that to go forward? Yeah, yeah, I really like that. I, I want to go further, but I've got to get to because we said top two uh, <laughs> learning lessons. But we got to ask about what are the top two most exciting things from this just crazy growth, right? Because you have these learning lessons, but you equally have these just insanely exciting things. So when your feet hit the ground in the morning, you're like, man, I can't wait to get there. Yeah, I think the first and foremost thing that sticks out to me is our just our success and our growth. And it didn't happen, you know, in a a flash. It's it's been, you know, a long journey and a long process uh, for nine years. Um, but to see us transition from a startup, uh, you know, and again, we're nine years old, so we're not that old, but into what we, you know, is looking very promising to be a very sustainable business. And to me, that's exciting to have been a part of that, uh, to, um, you know, I wear a lot of different hats, as you can imagine, at a small company. Uh, And so that's what's exciting to me as well, that um, I've had a hand in uh, building and shaping this organization. But the one thing that we've taken as an approach as in a management team is we don't manage from the top down. We don't tell them what to do. It's a collective effort. And to see how that has actually been successful uh, has, has just been extremely rewarding. Um, and then I think just building a business based in the way that we approached it. Um, we, we focus on team culture. We focus, we talked about this before about uh, being transparent uh, with our clients and with our people uh, and, and building those relationships. And if you look at our literature or our website or those types of things about what sets us apart or what our mission is or what our culture is, the underlying tone you'll see is trust. And we have it woven into everything that we do. And if, if, if our clients or our vendors or our people or our community can't trust us, then where what's our worth and what's yeah. our value and and you know I've you know reading a lot more today about like conscious capitalism and and what that means and that you know you should look beyond just corporate profits and you know uh, maximizing uh, you know the the wealth of shareholders or executives and that sort of thing and what I found was interesting is it's kind of how we've done it mm-hmm. right we've focused on our people we focused on our clients we focus on relationships and we focus on our community and we want to do more of that from a community perspective and giving back um but we think we've had a a really good start uh but that's just i don't know it's just innate in how we've always approached things and uh we don't do everything right uh we're not perfect uh 
but we're pretty excited and, and um, you know, just very uh, enthusiastic about where we've, you know, come from and, and what the future holds for us, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I've got to get to my last question, but before okay. I do, I have two things on what you just said. So it took you nine years to be an overnight success, Yeah. right? It took <laughs> yes. you nine years to be an overnight yes. success. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, people don't think, you know, it's like all of a sudden it's like, boom, this person, look at them, they're just blown up. No, it yeah. took us nine years to get there. So that's one. The second thing, and I just read this quote this morning to my three business partners. I'm a butcher it. I'm not even going to try to quote it, but it goes along with what you were just saying. The easy route for people running a business is let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the KPIs. Let's look at what our revenue growth is. Let's look at this number right here on our income statement, our balance sheet or cash flow, right? That's the easy way to look at a business. And that's what most leaders will fall back on because it's easier to do that. Whereas the other side of the coin is it's the messy, awkward, conversation and dealing with people right and and people have a tendency leaders have a tendency to avoid that because it's messy mm -hmm. it's awkward it's probably a lot of things that you may not necessarily want to hear it's probably a lot of things that you may not necessarily want to say right because it's painful and so we opt to go with the well are we hitting our kpis well yeah that's important mm -hmm. are we hitting our revenue that's important too but in order to maximize those numbers, we got to do the other side and have the messiness of belly to belly conversations with our people and our customers and our vendors. And that's really what's going to set companies off to sell like what you guys have done over the past nine years, the overnight success. Yeah. So here's my last question. Okay. Um, how does someone add value to an organization? high growth organization or not high growth organization. What do they do? You had mentioned it before. It's like you were told in your life, one of your mentors was you have to find a way. Yeah. Is there a recipe? Like what, what's the recipe? Is there a recipe? Um, well, the recipe that's been uh, working for me for my whole career and what I try to instill upon people who work with me uh, on my team is don't just focus on it's important to know what your role is in the everyday tasks that you have to get done but how can you look beyond that and how you can create and add value to a company and i'm a firm believer that it doesn't matter what part of the organization you work in uh, what level of the organization you are how new you are whether it's right out of high school or right out of college or or grad school or you've been with uh, in the workforce for 20 or 30 years i'm a firm believer that if you can work with people to get an understanding of how your role impacts the company and how the company works to me that's the recipe to to not just focus on your job and your silo with blinders on but try to learn how the company works sometimes that's easy it depends on the type of company in the industry uh and it, sometimes it takes a while and how do you learn that you you go you you force yourself out of your comfort zone which I, as i am in here today uh but to learn about the company and get to know people in er different areas of the business and and what do you do you're in sales and marketing okay tell me about how what you do every day uh or you're in it or you're a software developer uh, i don't expect you to learn what they do and how to code software, right? C sharp or whatever. I know those terms, but I don't know how to do it. <laughs> Me too. And I only know it because of the company I work for. Uh, but how do you 
get yourself out of your everyday job and, and spend just a little bit of time yeah. learning about the company and learning about what we do, learning about how our how what drives our revenue, what drives our growth, what drives our challenges, what yeah. drives down you know downturns and that sort of thing. And to me, that is a way that whether you're an accountant or in clerical or uh, in legal or whatever, to me, I think that adds value to the business and it makes you more valuable to the business. Yeah, right? absolutely. So it's a mutual benefit that I know that if you're focusing on the company and what the company is doing, I know that it'll help you do your job better and it will help you make the company more valuable. And I, I, I learned that early on from a mentor of mine and it's always stuck with me. So good. Uh, and I try to instill that in as many people as I can, whether you yeah. work for me or not. I'm going to try to figure out a way to help you um, be successful because your our success depends on yours. So, so good, it's so good. It's like yeah. pass the people listening, pass the message on. It's so good. Mm -hmm. It is uh, you 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 may think you are hired based on a job description, yeah. eh, partly so. But throw the job description out when you get there. You got to do that job. I'm not saying like just start doing everybody's job, but <laughs> do more than that job description. You know, go introduce yourself, which becomes harder in a remote environment or a hybrid environment. So you, again, we're going back to the word intentional. Yes. So you have to be more intentional yes. about getting out there. Don't just sit back in your desk, especially for the younger generation. It's like, ah, oh, we want an instant message or text someone. Like if you're in the office, go introduce yourself to people, go walk around the office and find out who else is there and be involved. So be intentional. Great advice. Chris Doty. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. It's been a yeah. fun, fun uh, time to be here. And I'm Absolutely. Glad I, hopefully I could share some insight and knowledge to, to you and, and to your audience. Absolutely. Well, if, for those that are listening, we really appreciate Chris. And for everybody that is listening here today, tomorrow, next year, whenever you are listening to this podcast, number one, it's great advice. Number two, share it. Pass it on to other people get the information that we're trying to learn from all of these leaders that we're interviewing. It's every other week, get the information and share it and actually apply it in your daily life. Thank you so much for joining until next time. If you're looking for the next step in your career or the missing piece for your team, Unity Search has you covered. Whether it's finance and accounting, tax services, information technology, or human resources, Unity Search is here for you with experienced and dedicated hiring professionals. Reach out today and take the next step. Unity Search, placing you first.